Hello and welcome to Biblical Breadcrumbs. In this episode, we'll be in Matthew 26, starting in verse 31. As we continue in this section uh, near the end of the book of Matthew, we're getting close here. We're finally getting, well, we're getting to the point where we're about to finish up. Um, but the story still has a bit to go. And so we're going to pick up here and we're going to keep going for another couple sections today. Last time we talked about the uh, Last Supper and everything that happened there, how Jesus just commanded that there be a uh, supper prepared for him and set up, and so it was, and they partook of that, and they joined together in that, um, and of course he calls out that he will be betrayed and who his betrayer is, and then we see that fulfilled as Judas asks him, is it is it actually going to be me? And Jesus says, well, you know, you said it. <laughs> As legitimately as you're asking that question, because you know it's you, um, as legitimately as Judas is going to ask that question, Jesus is going to answer it, which is, of course, you know exactly what you're doing, and you apparently don't feel sorry about it at all. But then, of course, Jesus immediately then offers this, what we call the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist today, the, the Thanksgiving um, fancy word for it that I, I am a fan of. Um, and Jesus offers this Lord's Supper while, at least in Matthew's account, Judas is still in the room. There is still this redemption that's being offered him if he wants to take it up. We'll see what he does with it. And I think next week when we get to it, we'll see what Judas actually does with that. But for the moment... For the moment, they've gone out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus and his disciples, his remaining disciples, or as Matthew doesn't, Matthew doesn't tell us when Judas leaves, so just Jesus and his disciples, they've gone out to the Mount of Olives, and that's where they're going to spend their last few moments together. So Matthew 26, let's start reading in verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, Tonight all of you will fall away because of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. And Peter told him, Well, even if everyone falls away because of you, I will never fall away. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to him, Tonight, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Even if I have to die with you, Peter told him, I will never deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. And then, Peter, then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he told the disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping. He asked Peter, So couldn't you stay awake with me for one hour? Stay awake, and pray that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again a second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again, and he found them sleeping, because they could not keep their eyes open. And after leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, 
Are you still sleeping and resting? See, the time is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. See, my betrayer is near. In this section, Jesus is talking with his disciples, and he ends up, he, he has told them on multiple occasions before, he has told his disciples that he will die, that he will come back, right? He, he will come back and see them again, but he will die. This is an unavoidable fact that he is just going to have to face. He is going to die. He promises that. He, he, he promised that many, many times, several times at least throughout the text of this. Hey, he will die. That is the solid fact that is going to happen. But it's okay, because it's not just that he will die. He also constantly has been promising that he will rise. This is his constant promise that always happens, or that, that is always going to happen. He is going to die firstly, and that's going to be terrible, but it is, it's going to work out in the end that he is going to rise. After I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. I'll go meet you again. I'll be there waiting for you. It's okay. It's, it's all going to be fine. But while he has to face this death, and while this, this horrible stuff is happening to him, they are going to face some things that they don't much like, and that they're going to run away from. As it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. This is a quote from Zechariah 13, in verse 7, the second half of verse 7, which Zechariah is a somewhat complicated book, uh, and so I don't really have time nor uh, ability to go into every single detail here. But in Zechariah 13, um, starting in verse 7, let's just read this, Zechariah 13, 7, Sword, awake against my shepherd, against the man who is my associate. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. Strike that shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, this is the Lord's declaration, in the whole land two-thirds will be cut off and die, but one-third will be left in it. And I will put this third through the fire. I will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is our God. Do you see what Matthew's referring to, or what Jesus is referring to? here, rather, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. When he dies, when he is struck, what's going to happen is God's going to go through a refining process where a lot of people, two-thirds, right, a representative estimate, a lot of people are cut off and cut out, and they will not, um, they, they, they won't make the cut, right, or rather they will be cut, yeah, that, that, that works in my head. Um, they won't make it to be with God, but rather there will be one third who's left and they will go through fire and they will go through the consequences and a lot of like harsh situations, but it's going to work out in the end and it's all going to be okay. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. God's people 
are going to go through some trials, and that is going to help them in the end, and it'll all work out when Jesus comes back. But what would a prediction of Jesus' death be if Peter was not going to speak up and contradict it and just be himself? Right? What would it be if Peter just kind of let this go? Well, it wouldn't be all that much. And so, of course, Peter has to stick his nose in, and he'll say, You know, Jesus, I know what you're saying. Right? And, and Peter, this time, good on him, he is not complaining about Jesus dying. They have accepted that that is what Jesus is going to say, even though they don't believe it, as is going to be evidenced soon. Um, they have accepted that that is what he is going to say. Okay, fine, we'll, we'll let that pass. But what Peter complains about is, Jesus, you say that everyone's going to fall away, but obviously, with you being like the Son of God and all, you must not know how I work, because I'm great, and I would never leave, because I, I am so faithful and so loyal, and... I'm just better than all of them, I guess, and I'm more faithful to you than even you think I am, even though you're God, right? Does Peter know that Jesus is the Son of God? He's the one who admitted it all those chapters ago. He's the one who brought that to the table. Jesus didn't even bring that up. He just, he had asked, you know, who do people say that I am? Oh, a bunch of different human beings. Cool. Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, God. And Jesus says, yeah, th that's a pretty astute answer. And then immediately Peter denies that God knows what he's talking about when he denies that Jesus is speaking the truth. And here it is again. Jesus says, Peter, all of the disciples will walk away. And Peter says, God, I don't think you know what you're talking about because I'm better than they are. And, and I would never leave. So Jesus says, you know what? Just because of that, just because of that, um, you're the one who's going to deny me to the most extreme degree. Because you're so prideful and you're so arrogant and you think that you are so much better than everybody else, in order to bring you down to your lowest point and in order to break you so that you have nowhere else to turn except back to God... I'm going to have to put you through this. And so he'll give Peter opportunities to stand up for him, just like Peter is claiming that he will, and we will watch time and time again as Peter fails, over and over and over, until he finally realizes exactly what he's done and the position that he's in, which is not where he thought he was. But it's in that moment of humility that he'll be able to be saved from his own arrogance. Of course, that's not what happens immediately. It doesn't happen in verse 35 because Peter just says, you know what? I'm better than they are. I, I would never deny you. And then all the other disciples get in on it and say, oh, uh, yeah, I, I mean, Peter, yeah, I, we're there too. We're, we're faithful too. We're good people. Um, we would never deny you. Of course not. Of course not. And Jesus, I just imagine him shaking his head and moving on. Because really, what else can you do? <laughs> when you have people like this, what, what's your other alternative? 
So Jesus comes to this place on the Mount of Olives called Gethsemane. It's a garden there, a garden that is looking back towards Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem is right here, just west of the Dead Sea area. Um, and of course, it's just sitting right there on this map I've drawn. It's indicated by the J for those of you who are who are just listening. Um, Jerusalem is right there in the center of Judah, and the Mount of Olives is a mountain that's right outside of the city. I don't remember how far away. It's within like two and a half miles, but I don't remember the exact measurement, but it's somewhere, it's somewhere right nearby to the city itself. So Jesus walks out of the city slightly in whatever direction towards um, the Mount of Olives. He gets on the mountain and then he looks back towards Jerusalem. And this is where the garden is, overlooking Jerusalem. While he's in the garden, if anything happens in Jerusalem, if anyone happens to come out of the city, or whatever the case may be, he'll see those gates open, and he'll see those people coming out. That's where he's positioned on the mountain. He's watching and he's waiting because he knows that something's coming. So he tells his disciples to sit there and wait, and he's going to go off and pray. Of course, he calls Peter and James and John, the two sons of Zebedee. He calls those three, the three that were on the mountain and saw him transfigured, the the three that are with him through everything. Why those three? Not exactly sure. Um, but Peter and James and John are kind of his his core his core group. Um, and interestingly enough, Peter seems to be the guy who, who is, is, is the major apostle who helps start the church. Of course, all of the apostles are heavily involved, but Peter is kind of the spokesperson who's named the most often in the book of Acts. Uh, James is the one who dies first in the book of Acts. So that's Acts chapter 12. He's the first apostle killed. And John is the one who writes Revelation and who's still alive at the end, after everybody else has died, he dies in exile as an old man. And so Peter, James, and John are all very primary leaders in in some form or another in the early church. Uh, intriguing that that would happen, probably, I assume, because they were with Jesus a little bit closer than everybody else was. But Jesus summons Peter and James and John and takes them deeper into the garden. So he's at one point, he drops off his... Um, what is it at this point? It's eight disciples um, minus Judas, and then he takes Peter, James, and John, and he takes them deeper into the garden. So they're the eight disciples, and then Jesus and the three, but then he drops off the three, and he goes off by himself, and he says, you know what? He, he says, basically, this is hard. This is horrible. I am grieved to the point of death. That's that's his wording. Um it is it is so hard right now because I know that death is coming, because I know that this is what I have to face, because this is the reality that's happening right now. You you stay here and stay awake with me, right? Share share in my sufferings, join with me. Um I'm gonna go over there and pray, but you guys also pray for me. I think is what he's asking. So he goes a little bit off and he prays to God. Jesus, as God, still prays to God because guess what? 
you got to communicate with yourself even still, um, especially since Jesus is on earth and God is in heaven. I don't know exactly how that relationship worked, but Jesus models prayers for us all the time, so that's very important. Um, he goes off and he prays to God the Father, and he says, basically, I don't want to do this, but, but if I have to, make me able to, right? Let let this cup, let this tribulation, the the trial and the problems, let this all pass. Let this let this go to somebody else. If there's any other way, let me out, because I don't want to face what's coming. But not like I will, but what you will, because God knows best, and Jesus Jesus is God, but He is also existing in a human form in a human likeness. Uh, and he's done everything that's human. He has grown up human. He was born human and everything. He didn't just pop into existence here. He had to go through even the the uh, the infantile process. He is fully God and fully man at the same time. And here his humanity is getting to him. <laughs> and it's saying, let me out. I don't want to face this. I don't want to go through the pain and the death and the humiliation. I don't want to to do that but god knows best we're going to entrust that to him and i'm going to do my job whatever my job might be so he comes back to his disciples the friends the really close friends who have been with him through everything who who know who he is even more than the rest of the apostles do who have been um who, who have contradicted him and fought against him more than the rest of the apostles have, and I think that's just deepened their relationship. Um, these are the men who will do anything, right? Peter especially being the most vocal one, but P Peter and James and John, these are the men who would like do anything for him, and yet they can't even stay awake. And so we watch as Peter's boasts about suffering, never denying. Even if I have to die with you, I would not, I wouldn't deny you. Yeah. First test. Can you stay awake? No, you can't. If you can't stay awake, why would you go and let yourself be executed? Like, like if you don't have the willpower to keep yourself awake a few minutes... Why do you think that you could give up your, your life? That doesn't make sense. Peter, what are you doing? I know you want to, right? I know in verse 41, your intentions are all well and good, and you really want to, and it would be a wonderful thing if you could, and, and you're, you're pushing for this, and I know that the Spirit is willing, but the other part of you the human part of you, the part of you that gets tempted, that gets drawn away, that gets that is just everything that is not good summed up in your flesh, right? That part of you is trying to tear you down. So you have a choice. You can dedicate yourself to the spirit, or you can give yourself over to the flesh. The Spirit's going to keep you awake. It's going to keep you praying. It's going to keep you like aware of the situation and trying to support Jesus. It's going to keep you with God. 
and the flesh is going to put you to sleep and keep you away from God, and you won't think about his things, and you're just going to sleep it off because it'll all be better in the morning. That's what your humanity wants you to do. Please don't do that. So Jesus goes away again. He prays basically the same prayer, the same idea of prayer, um, except in verse 42, it's much more concrete. In verse 39, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. In verse 42, if this can't pass from me, your will be done. Right? There's an acceptance there. Jesus wants out, but he he knows he's not going to get out. He knows that there is that this is his purpose. This is why he was here. He knows he can't escape the thing that's coming next. So he prays, and he goes back to them, and they're asleep. So he goes off, and he prays again. He says the same thing, a similar variation of the same thing. And then he comes back after the third time of prayer. However many hours this has been, we don't know. However long they've been sitting there, they've been sleeping, he's been stressing. I don't know. But Jesus comes back in verse 45, and you just kind of, you can hear it in his voice. He's resigned, he knows what's going to happen, and he is going to see it through. Are you still sleeping? The time is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of the sinners. So get up and let's go. You guys, you guys, you guys have failed. Sorry. You promised very great things, and yet you couldn't deliver on any of them. You promised not to deny me, and yet you denied me to my face when I just asked you to stay awake. A, a simple little thing like that, and you were so sad you went to sleep. Well, Jesus is sad too. You know, you know, you know what Jesus is going through. He's sad too. And yet these men are, instead of sympathizing with him and even caring a little bit and trying to help their friend through the tragedy and, and the trauma that's about to happen, they're just sleeping and benefiting themselves. And it's all about them and their pride and nothing good. So Jesus is resigned. Fine. <laughs> this is happening and it's happening now. And as he looks down from the Mount of Olives, as he looks down from the Garden of Gethsemane, he can see Jerusalem's doors opening, and he can see the mob with torches marching out to come and get him. He's watching that happen, maybe as he's praying or just after he finishes. And so he says, Stand on your feet and wake up, because this thing is about to happen, and... Well, you'll need to be awake so that you can get away at least. And that's where we'll leave off for this week. Just a few thoughts to go with that. That's a very, very sad um, section of of the text that we're talking about. Sorry, there's random shouting in the background that's distracting me. That's a, that's a very rough section of text that we're talking about. And yet I think you do see a few things in it that are really good and helpful for us to remember. Firstly, in verse 31, note that the quotation Jesus uses from Zechariah 13 uh, in verse 7 
whatever it may mean, what the, what the text there goes on to talk about is the fact that testing produces God's people. Testing is the thing, and, and the trials that come, that's the thing that makes God's people who they are. God sets up that this, this man will be uh, destroyed and harmed, and then he, he sets up that this shepherd is going to be removed. And then he says, you know, I'm going to cut, cut some people off, the bad people who don't care, and I'm going to refine the rest of them. There's a trial, I'll refine them like silver, I'll test them like gold, and what happens because of that is that they then turn and they then call on the Lord. And that's what turns them around to actually be faithful to God. That's The same thing's going to happen here with the apostles. The testing that they go through, the trials that they face in, in seeing their friend die and realizing everything of what that is going to mean, that testing is going to produce people who are faithful beyond a shadow of a doubt, where before you even have people like Peter promising great things and then denying them as, as soon as he's promised them. He says, I won't, I won't leave you for anything, but, but when you need my help, even in a, a small way, even when you need just my moral support, uh, I won't be there for you. This testing that they go through is going to produce in them a spirit of faith that is incomparable to what they were before. The testing produces God's people. Secondly, in verse 35, you see Peter has some really good intentions, and we have to realize that good intentions might be good, but they can honestly do a lot more harm than they do good sometimes. That doesn't mean you shouldn't have good intentions, but that should mean that you're very careful with what you promise. Right? Jesus talked about this earlier. Stop making all these promises that you didn't go and deny for arbitrary reasons. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. And the things that you say, make them come true. If you, if you can't do it, if you're not going to fulfill your word, stop promising it. Stop it. Because Peter is, is you know, Jesus says, everyone, you're going to betray me. And Peter says, I won't betray you. Jesus says, no, you will, right? Right, you will. Stop promising something else. And Peter says, no, I'll be with you through anything. And so Jesus, to test that, asks him if he can be with him through a little bit. And Peter's good intentions, which once may have inspired some hope that maybe... Maybe Jesus is wrong. Maybe maybe God was wrong in this one. Maybe Peter will be faithful. And so Jesus is, is asking Peter to do a little thing for him to prove some amount of faith. And the little hope that Peter gives is very quickly extinguished as he just goes to sleep instead of helping. We can often have good intentions and want to help other people and mean to do good to other people and, you know, promise some things but if we promise and don't deliver, that can be much more discouraging to people to get their hopes up and then crush them than my never promising in the first place. This doesn't mean you should never have good intentions, right? This doesn't mean you should never be nice. This doesn't mean that you should never promise good to another person. 
But when you do, make sure that you're actually going to follow through on that. Because if you don't, then you've gotten their hopes up for nothing, and that's practically very, that, that's physically it's very rude, and spiritually it's very detrimental for yourself and for other people. Thirdly, then, what you have to realize is that in verse 41, Jesus says some of the truest words that have ever been spoken. If you, uh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In other words, you might want to do good, but you can't. So what's the solution for that? Is earlier in verse 41, stay awake and pray so that you don't, so that you won't enter into temptation. The truth is, there is no good, there, there's no good without God. You can be good, you can be a nice person, you can be morally pretty upright, you can be, you can be just generally a good person that people like, but you can't be truly good without God, right? You can really want to do the right thing, but if you don't have God on your side, and if you're not relying on him, are you really going to? Probably not. The The odds are probably not. And so you may, there may be some extent to which you do some good, but in reality, who is good but God alone? No one is good but God alone. That's what Jesus says. It, why do you call yourself good, <laughs> right? Do you really think you're that good? Think about it because your, your, your moral record is not spotless. And God's is. So morally, the good one here is not you. It's God. I mean, relatively, you might be better than other people. But that doesn't mean anything because you're not judged based on other people. You're judged based on how you measure up to God's image, which is the entire point of your existence. That's a big philosophical concept that we should talk about in a, a, different, uh, a different setting. But... As far as as far as your moral superiority goes, you don't have it. There is no true good without God. Your spirit might be willing, but your flesh is weak and going to bring you down unless you pray and you work with the Lord in order to conquer those those sinful desires that you have. Is it wrong to sleep? No. But there can be places and times at which it is inappropriate to sleep, and Peter certainly transgresses on that. So stay awake and pray that you wouldn't enter into temptation. You might want to do good, but you really need God on your side in order to accomplish that. Good news, though, with God all things are possible. So, you, you, can't, you can't do anything without God. But you can do everything with God. So, um, well, if you want to do anything, then you, can, you, you know where to look. There's no other option but to go to God. Hopefully that's helpful and encouraging. It gives you something to think about, at least as we start into this, this new year of 2023 and everything that's going on. Um, hopefully it is a benefit to you. I plan to keep this going every week, once a week, every week for who knows, who knows how long. Um, we'll get to the end of Matthew within, I don't know, by March, during March, somewhere, somewhere in there. I'm not exactly sure how long it'll take, but we'll get to the end of Matthew at some point, and then we'll move to something else. 
and I don't know what that is yet, but I will I will keep you updated if I have thoughts on it, or if you have thoughts on it, by all means, just let me know. Send me an email or something. My email is uh, should be in the description for this this podcast or on the, the YouTube channel, and um, if you have suggestions about where to move after we get done with this eventually, which it'll be a while before we're done with Matthew, but if you have thoughts on where you would like to go next, by all means, let me know, and I'd be glad to accomplish that. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed. Hope you found something beneficial in there for you, and I'll see you on the next episode of Biblical Breadcrumbs.